Well, good morning, friends. There we go. Have you enjoyed the day so far? Isn't it exhilarating to see the young people? I was watching those little ones shaking. My arms were getting tired for them as they were shaking those old bells. And the scripture and the story. And I will tell you, young people, Miss Reader, to this day, reading is one of her. Once she learned how, she hasn't slowed down. That's one of her most, most favorite activity. And thank you for recognizing our, our school board chair. Um, that was, he does a lot of, of, of really good things. When you saw that this, the uh, program was Adventist Education, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Let me make a guess. For some of you, it was our school, Fort Collins Christian School. Others might have thought, oh, Jessica, Reeders here, or Jessica Rios is here, might have thought Campion Academy. Maybe others of you thought Union College, Walla Walla, Loma Linda. Maybe some of you thought, oh good, I can just come because my kids, I don't have kids, or they are all growing. But if I tell you that you are part of Adventist education, what do you think I'm going to talk about? You think I'm going to talk about money, don't you? You know what? You're wrong. You're dead wrong. I started out by, by reading the very first paragraph in a, in a classic book called Education. Let me read it for you, just a real couple of sentences. Our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There is need of a broader scope, a higher aim. It means more than preparation for the life that is now. It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. So maybe it's greater than just this school or just our system. We have the director of, of our system. You're going to hear from her later that's joining us today. Maybe it's more than that. Let me, let me, let me cast a, a vision if I can. And you can tell me when we're done whether I accomplish this or not. I'm going to say that Adventist education is from the cradle to the grave. No, 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 no. I'm going to make it even tougher for myself. Adventist education is pre-cradle to post-grave. Do I have you confused? I hope so. Let's talk about it. Let's talk a little bit. Now, we have all gathered all from the little bitty ones to, to those of us who have nearing maybe three uh, digits on our birthdays. We have a wide range. And so I'm going to talk just a little bit for a few minutes, go over the, the stages of development that we are going through, that we have gone through, or that we will go through. First one is is, is prenatal influence. And you may think that, you know, before a baby is born, do anything influence that child? We're just now beginning to, my wife is an OB nurse, and so she is closely attuned to that. But did you know the attitude, the feeling, the anxiety, the stress of the mother when she is pregnant is directly affects the child? Did you know the child will hear and recognize the dad's voice? It's interesting, in Luke chapter 1 and 45, we find that John the Baptist, who was 
going to prepare the way for Christ, says in, in, in verse 45, and it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, these two pregnant women, cousins, Mary comes, she speaks Elizabeth, the Bible says, the babe inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, he leaped for joy. So evidently, we need to begin, my friends, seriously considering from conception how to take care of that child. We need to pray for that child. We haven't seen him. Many times we don't know the sex of the child, but we still have that prenatal influence. Well, then we get to the birth. Nothing is sweeter than a newborn child. And I say that with a little bit of, I get in trouble with my family, because when my first daughter was born, I, uh, I should have had my kids back in the 50s, because that's when the dad stayed outside the delivery room. But no, no, I'm modern, so I had to be in the delivery room. I think they charged me more for that, I don't know. But my little girl was born, Annie. And she's the sweetest little girl in the world. And the doctor took her, they handed her to the nurse, wiped her down a little bit, handed her to my wife. My wife took her, looked up at me and said, isn't she the most beautiful thing in the world? I took a look at her. <laughs> she looked a whole lot like her mother's side of the family. No, 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 I'm just teasing. My wife's not here, so I can get by with that. But I tell you, I took a look at that little girl, and I have been in love for 40 years now. Remember that time? Uh, if you haven't had that time, it's come. But as I, as, I, as I held that little girl, and I thought of the next few years, and it's gotten worse. What is the world that these little ones are growing up here in? They do not know how blessed they are to have teachers and parents and a church who cares about them. Because these little people, at, from the birth to toddler, we're told that the character is set in many ways during the first few years. The cognitive abilities grow. Their gross motor skills, the fine motor skills, their language development. My granddaughter is 14 months old, and she can say mama and dada, but they call me gumps. This was, I think it was short for grumpy, and they just shortened it to grumps and then gumps. But she can't quite get the gumps, so it's just oomps right now. But it's when the synapses form, they turn, they, they're beginning to learn to talk, sing to these child, hold these child. I read in Reader's Digest the importance of human touch, no matter what age that is. But I tell you, appropriate touch, guys, is something that in the last year we have lost. Amen? I have trouble even, even getting a handshake from people now, let alone a hug. These kids need that, that affirmative action. And of course, the little one's curiosity. Do you pray for these little ones? I hope you do. Do they need Adventist education in their lives as their character develops? Absolutely. And then we reach the age of typical that we think of Adventist education, the elementary age. This is where they're learning to tell time, they're reading Miss Reader, friends are important to them, 
They love to copy. You ever find your kids copying you? My son, when he was about four years old, I was sitting, I was living uh, in, in California, and I was sitting on the floor eating a piece of pizza, and I had my baseball hat on. And my little fella, I didn't, just pretended I didn't see him at all, but he looked carefully at me, went back to his bedroom, got his baseball hat, went, got a piece of pizza out of the table, sat down beside me on the couch, crossed his legs, legs like dad's legs, and we just had a good time together. Church members, these kids are following what you and you, you, the example you're giving. Parents, relatives, it's so important that we take a careful, careful evaluation of the example that we're setting for these kids. Well, these sweet, loving kids who love their teacher and love their parents, they hit in the next group, they hit what's called middle school. It is the Jekyll and Hyde of growth. These sweet children all of a sudden become cantankerous, belligerent, smart-mouthed for a little bit, and then they come back. They, they're not sure where they fit. They begin to question their parents, their teachers. They get a different worldview. Peer pressure becomes important to them. Their bodies are changing in ways that, that are kind of scary. Oh my, I spent most of my career teaching middle school. And that is an age that I absolutely love. But it is a challenge. And yet, we think sometimes that we've got lots of time to train these kids. But let me just refer uh, quickly back to two stories. The story of Samuel. How long did Samuel's mother have him and was able to set his character? Only from the time that he was weaned. And then she sent him to Eli. And what kind of a father was Eli? He was terrible. Look at his own two biological sons. And yet, because of the character that the mom had set in and because of her yearly devotion and the prayers that surrounded young Samuel. Samuel is one of the few people that I don't think we know any major mistake that Samuel made. And of course, what about Moses? Ah, oh, Moses, probably the greatest leader of mankind ever. His mom had 12 years. What if we only had 12 years to teach these young people? Would we do anything different? Would we make sure that they have the, the very best of everything? Well, of course, Moses' mom didn't know how long. She, but it, knew, it wasn't going to be long. And so she only had 12 years. And then Moses went to the Pharaoh's court. And then for the next 28 years, he had the best that the worldly education could offer him. Nothing but the most famous doctors taught him about religion, about philosophy, about uh, physical th things, about all this sort of stuff. And he was a bright, bright young man. And he thought he was ready to lead God's people. Was he? God said, you're not ready. You're not ready. And it's amazing. Moses had, I love where it says that, that Moses chose to suffer with his people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
And so Moses had to go unlearn some things, didn't he? And he spent 40 years. And finally, those of you that have reached older in age, you might think, God doesn't have anything left for me to do. Moses was 80 years old when he started. Age is just a number when God is involved, when God is involved. Well, we get the kids through middle school, and then we reach to high school. Big appetites. Those of you that have high school kids at home know your food bill goes up. They become more coordinated. They, their thought processes become uh, the ability to reason. They set goals. They begin to, to either accept or reject the spirituality around them. What is right? What is wrong? And, of course, the independence. Friends are so important. Parents, watch carefully the friends of your, of your, your child. So vitally important. Well, then they get, they graduate and they get on to trade school or begin work or go to college. They've just barely, barely gotten out of the teenage years and we ask them to make really hard decisions. We ask them to choose a spouse. They don't hardly even know themselves. We ask them to choose a career. They don't hardly even know that. We give them freedom that they've never experienced before. And many times, that's the time for the wedding. Do they need God? Do they need the example of you and I? Do they need connection to the divine leading? There are some times, and, and those of you who have parents, or those of you who, all of you have parents, I just want you to know that. <laughs> but those of you that are empty nesters, you know that you reach about this age level, and about the best thing that you can do is pray for that child daily twice a day, three times a day. Let them know that they are in your prayers. Let the Holy Spirit, and then set that example in your life. Well, they get through with college, they're married, they're working on their career, where they're going to live, and they discover that the wedding is fun, but there's this thing that follows it called marriage. Marriage is more work. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no, you're, if you're sitting beside your spouse, you didn't say amen. That's a, a wise thing to do. But they're beginning to learn marriage, ma marriage man uh, management. And, uh, of course, the, the 20s and 30s, children come along, and you, you look at that little one like I was talking about, and you say, oh, my, how can I raise this child? Does God have ways? Does he have counsel? You ever read Adventist Home? Child guidance, the Holy Scriptures. I mean, all this is just full of stuff for every age. And then, of course, sometimes it is unfortunate that we get what we call the seven-year itch in marriage. And you've got to refocus. You've got to redo this. This is the early career. And then we begin to hit middle age. Life is either satisfactory or dissatisfied. The house, the job the career, the daily routines, the paying the bills, children all over the place. I look at the pastor and his family, children running all over. What a busy, busy, busy place. It's all good. But sometimes we wonder, is this all there is, middle age? We can kind of begin to see the end. We wonder, is this really what it's all about? 
and it's really our first time that we are think about, about growing old. Sometime in middle age, there will be a physical decline. Some of you have, when you go to get a haircut, gentlemen, you ought to get to pay less because there's a lot less to cut. Sometimes we put on some, some, some weight. And many times we have a role reversal with our own parents where we are the sandwich generation. We have children to take care of. We have parents, elderly parents to take care of. Do we need God's leading at this age? Absolutely. And then finally, well not finally, second to finally is retirement. New routines, loss of old schedule and procedures, serious consideration for the first time of the, as Billy Graham says, the brevity of life. Sometimes our health challenges become even worse. We have serious physical limitations. And maybe we need to take a little bit of time and refocus on what's important. And then finally, the end of life. My wife's father is at Fletcher in, in North Carolina. She was out there with him last week. He kind of recognizes her, kind of don't. She put him on hospice. That was hard. Whether he's here for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I don't know. But the end of life. And it's really a time when we take a serious look at God, if we haven't yet. We take a look at the family. As I listened to Laura's dad talk, I got a little video they sent to me, and he praised God, and he praised his family. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me my family. He didn't say anything about a car, a new car. He didn't say anything about a new house. He didn't say anything about, I'm going on a cruise in six months. It really helped focus in on what was important. That's the time when debilitating health issues, final arrangements, goodbyes. My friend, through all these periods, you and I, let me be a little morbid here, you and I are all terminal. You know that? If God does not come, you and I will see death. Maybe we will make it to middle age. Maybe we'll make it to retirement. We might even live to be a hundred years old. But no matter what age we are in, guys, Adventist education is important. When I got here this morning, I went in the back room. Where did I go? Sabbath school. I came to learn about God's will for me. Pastor Paul and, and, and Lynn are wonderful friends, and I, I, I highly admire them. Pastor, have you read the Bible through entirely? Maybe, maybe more than once? Do you suppose that portions of the Bible, like the book of John, you've read hundreds of times? Or maybe thousands of times? So, and you've taught it too, haven't you? So at your age and with your, you don't need to read the Bible anymore, do you? You know it all. I know this man and this woman, they read the Bible every day. They are still involved in Adventist education. God still speaks, whatever age you are. Powerful stuff. Well, I told you it would go all the way past 
the grave. And let me tell you, you see at Campion Academy a little later this month is going to be test week. Test week is going there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. They're going to take all their tests. They're going to be done Wednesday night. They're going to turn in their books. Thursday, they are going, the teachers will grade them. They will turn the grades in to the registrar, and she will take a look at what's required for graduation. We'll see what they have done, and Thursday night, she will make out a diploma. Have they graduated? No. But they are through, but they still have graduation. Because you see, Friday, they have to set up for it. And Saturday, or Friday night is the consecration. And Saturday is the, 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 the dedication and the consecration. And they don't graduate until Sunday morning when they walk across the stage and they get that diploma. That's when they graduate. My friends, when your time on earth ends, you haven't graduated. Because you will graduate when the trumpet sounds and when the earth breaks forth and I will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Dennis, you're not going to know what it's like to move your neck back and forth, to bounce up. Paul's going to throw that cane. He may throw it at you. No, he won't throw it at you, but be careful. He's going to throw that. He may have a race. I can just see Dennis and Paul say, I'll beat you to the, to the angel Gabriel. You see, that is the ultimate graduation. And that is the definitive purpose of Adventist education. So my friends, you are both a teacher and a student of Adventist education. We're in this thing together. I, uh, I love the power of personal testimony. I think that's so, I, I wish we had time for every one of us to hear about the journey that has made us who we are. And let me tell you, I love your pastor, your new pastor and his family, good people. He's gonna to talk to us because the Adventist education has made a difference in his life. And we're gonna, I think you'll enjoy listening as we invite pastor to come on up and tell us a little bit of your journey, pastor, please. Thank you, Lonnie. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Lonnie, Lonnie was the former director of education for a Rocky Mountain Conference. It's hard to say former. Uh, I, I think it was, what, 18 years or more? 20 years. 20 years, 20 years of, of beautiful service. So thank you, Lonnie, for joining us. And Diane Harris, who you'll hear from later. She's our current director of education. Um, you know, I think we can all look back at experiences where we've been impacted by people who have had not just an influence in our lives, but an eternal influence in our lives. And I want to share a little bit of, of my own experience, but before that, can you just take your Bibles? Let's grab a Bible, if you have one handy. We're going to Psalm 71, the, the scripture reading that was read for us earlier today. Because ultimately, God is the one who educates us, amen? Right. Psalm 71, and when you're there, go ahead and say, I'm there. 
Psalm 71, about halfway through your Bible. All righty. Actually, before we even read these words, let's just pause for a word of prayer. God, we give you permission to speak. Uh, my hunch is that you are constantly speaking to us, constantly impressing upon our hearts wisdom from heaven, truth to reveal your character. And so really, God, what we're saying is we want to listen. We're asking, God, that as we open up your word, you'd open up our hearts and that through the power of your Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, you would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' saving name, let everyone say, amen. 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 Psalm 71. In this, just before we, we actually start reading this, you'll kind of let your eyes scan through what's going on here. And in Psalm 71, the psalmist, who I would presume to be David himself, he is talking about life's hard knocks, okay? He, he's going through stuff. He's, he's realizing that life is full of conflicts and all sorts of things, and yet he's looking to God as his rock. He's looking to God as his hope, his salvation. In fact, in verse 5, he says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. I love it. David's resolve in the midst of all his life conflict and stuff is just to look to the God he has always been able to trust. And in verse 14, we find this refrain of resolve kind of coming back up. It says, verse 14, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. By the way, if you're going through hard stuff right now, I want you to realize that there's power in praise. Yeah? There's power in reflecting upon how God has delivered you in the past and saying, yes, because he's done that in the past, I will keep pressing forward in hope. That's what he's doing. And in verse 15, my mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I love that. You think you've seen good stuff? Ah, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? For I do not know their limits. Verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. And here it is, verse 17. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. I don't know if you recognize this, but David's resolve to keep trusting in God no matter what's going on. David's resolve to keep praising God no matter what's going on. All of that? has its roots in his youth. What do you say in verse 7? Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. In fact, he's speaking as, as a more seasoned person. In verse 18, now also when I am old and gray-headed. Oh man, I was just looking in the mirror today. Debbie, this is crazy. I don't know. Is it just the light? Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. I love it. David's resolve finds its roots in his early education. In other words, his commitment to trust God in his seasoned years, in his more mature years, in his silver years. Okay? His resolve, his commitment to trust God in his later years is directly tied to his prior education in his younger years. That's why we're talking about true education, being taught of God. We cannot underestimate the value of being taught in our youth. And this is why we as a church family locally, as well as a church globally, this is why we pour so much of our energy and effort and resource 
into teaching young people. This is why we have a worldwide education system. This is why it's because we recognize that the window of moral development in our young years is critical and is of eternal significance. You know, we've been talking over the last several weeks in our Lord of the Harvest sermon series, the last three weeks, we were talking about uh, being laborers in the harvest, not just being any kind of laborer, but being a shepherding laborer. And I praise God for the shepherding laborers that God has blessed our school, Fort Collins Christian School. Uh, you know, our teachers, our, our, our volunteers, our aides, our board members, and especially, Danielson, thank you so much for pointing out, Devon, and our board chair. And so what stood out to me as I was looking at, at this passage of, of David, you know, Psalm 71, particularly in verse 17, he says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And this is, I just let that sink in. God, you have taught me from my youth. Did David grow up in a vacuum where he was just kind of off in the wilderness? No human educator in his life, no human influence or parental model in his... No. But what David is saying is that ultimately... In his early education, who does he see? God himself. He says, you have taught me from my youth. In other words, he looks to God as the one who has taught him. I love what Isaiah 54 verse 13 says. All your children shall be taught. Have you noticed this? Shall be taught by the Lord. It's not just taught of the Lord or about the Lord, but all your children shall be taught by the Lord. And what's the next part? And great shall be the peace of your children. I love that. You know, this, this dynamic of being taught by God, it's even hinted at in the new covenant promise. In Jeremiah chapter 31, when you start reading about what God wants to do in terms of the new covenant, he says this at the tail end of that. It says in Jeremiah 31 verse 34, he says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. In other words, man, talk about the goal of true education. It's really to know God. John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The new covenant promise in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31, hey, God says, you're all going to know me. How does this take place? The previous verse tells us, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, that dynamic of actually knowing God, it's not just because some person in my life taught me, but God himself promises, I am going to do a miracle in your heart. I'm going to rewrite the hard drive of your heart and mind. I will teach you. I will teach you. Which causes me to pause and reflect just a bit differently on the role of Adventist education in my own experience. You know, Lonnie asked me to share a little bit of, of my own personal experience of how Adventist education has impacted me. But as I was looking at Psalm 71, verse 17, oh God, you have taught me, I realized, hey, wait, this wasn't just this person, and it wasn't just that person. It was that God was behind it all. And it, asked, it, it caused me to ask the question, in what ways did God use teachers? In what ways did God use other role models in my life to be taught by God himself? After all, isn't education about being, I mean, it's, it's not just being mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. You know what I mean by that? 
Yeah, there, there's a real awesome statement, Education, page 17. She says, it is the work of true education to develop this power. To, uh, she's talking about the power to think, okay? the power to reflect. To train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. In other words, the goal of true education or the goal of a true educator then is not just as a teacher, as a parent, as a Sabbath school teacher, whatever it is, whatever role of influence, your role is not just to leave your human imprint upon someone else. Do you follow me today? It's not just let me teach them all that I know. Let me leave my impression upon them that they would be like me. No, 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 no. Our goal then is to lead others to personal communion with God. It's to lead young lives. It's to lead those less experienced to personal contact, to a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Which makes me think of Eli. You're talking about Eli, right? Let me just, yeah, so, so he didn't have the, the greatest influence upon his children. But let me just redeem his example just in one capacity. Can you go with me to 1 Samuel 3? Don't worry, I'll get to personal stories in just a little bit. But 1 Samuel 3, let me just look at this really quick together with you. 1 Samuel, Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Maybe you remember this story. You know, Samuel, who was lent to the Lord, his mother Hannah had lent him to Eli uh, to serve before God there in the, the tabernacle. And one night, there's this, just this strange experience that Samuel has. He keeps hearing his name called. He's not quite sure what to make of it. He goes back and forth to Eli several times over. Eli, wanting his beauty rest, says, no, 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 no. Go, go back to sleep. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived, notice this, then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. How could he perceive that, save that he had a similar experience in his own life? Eli must have been familiar with God interacting with him in his own experience, right? For him to recognize, wait a minute, I know, I know what this, this type of thing is. God is talking to you. So in verse 9, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, don't resist it, open your heart, open your ears, you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Eli must have had some experience with God talking to him and his own experience of wanting to listen, saying, I'm a servant of yours. I'm surrendered to you. And that's what he's passing on to Samuel. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. I would submit to you that while Eli's example as a parent may not be one that would be uh, one to follow, but Eli's redeeming contribution in young Samuel's life is that he led Samuel to listen to the voice of God. He educated him that there is a living God who speaks to your living reality and he wants to commune with you. <laughs> the result, Samuel didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. 
I love what it says there. And in Christ's Object Lessons, I want us to read this together. It says, true education means more than the colleges can give. But we praise God for our colleges, amen? While the study of the sciences is not to be neglected, there is a higher training to be obtained through a vital connection with God. That's that's it. It's a vital connection with God. Continues. Let every student take his Bible and place himself in communion with the great teacher. That's true education. Yeah, let's bring our kids to school. Let's bring our kids to our Sabbath morning, Sabbath school classes. Let's bring our kids to adventurers and pathfinders. Let's, let's bring ourselves as, as grown adults to Sabbath school, whatever the case may be. But true education happens through a vital connection with God. When we are taught by the Lord, we take our Bibles, we place ourselves in communion with God. And so my experience with Adventist education, I praise the Lord that God used key individuals at key times to not just teach me what they knew, but to teach me how to talk to God. And I'll start with someone who, her name was Mrs. Howard, Norma Howard. A lady that stood probably uh, to the shoulder of of the eighth graders in our class. Uh, She was just an amazing woman, super calm, peaceful. And as she taught us, you know, I have several memories of her. Maybe you remember a a children's story of mine. She was the one that kind of impressed that phrase in my mind, by beholding, you will become changed. And um, I just remember there there were times where she would just sit at her, I don't know if you called it a lectern or a pulpit there at the, the front of the classroom, And just the way she talked about God, it was as if she had just talked to God that morning. And for her, God was not a subject to learn about. God was a person to know. And for me as a young eighth grader, that that impressed my heart. That caused my heart to beat fast and say, I want that too. And so, yeah, she would teach us lots of things, but more than that, her example... It was something that I wanted. It was a fire, a knowledge of God that I wanted. In fact, later on, as, she, or as I went on to high school, I was in ninth grade at the time, and the academy building was just across the way from the eighth grade classroom. And one, one day after school, she actually tapped my shoulder and said, Hey, Godfrey, do you want to be part of something cool? And I was like, you know, she had this influence in my life, and I thought, sure, whatever you want, whatever. And so she actually had a plan where, you know, we would actually do a a youth Sabbath and we would have the kids preach and I want you to preach. We're going to have three speakers and one will preach on uh, on the, the outer courts of the sanctuary. Someone else will preach on the holy place and someone else on the most holy place. So this whole presentation about the sanctuary and not knowing really the details and ins and outs of the sanctuary, just knowing that Mrs. Howard wanted to give me an opportunity to do something, I said yes. And she said, oh, great. So she pulled out of her bag this huge stack of articles and notes. And, you know, with the jaw dropped, I just took that. I said, okay, yeah. So I took that home. I actually, for some reason, I locked myself in my sister's room. Maybe I thought it was going to be less disruptive there. I I got a Bible. I got those stacks of papers and a highlighter. I started going through. And I started reading things. And, you know, prior to that, the Bible had been something I had known about. It had been something I would read just, you know, for the sake of finishing my Bible homework or finishing my Bible or my Sabbath school quarterly. It was something more of a textbook for me. But at this point, I was just reading God's word. And my assignment was to preach on the holy place. And I was looking at the significance of the bread. What's the bread for that the priest would, would eat of every day? And those verses, it was as if fireworks went off. 
I remember the very verses I was looking up. John 6, verse 63. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. The words that I speak to you, that is spirit, and that is life. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning to even the thoughts and motives of the heart. And then in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And I began to realize, well, what I was holding in my hand was not just ink on paper, but the word of God to me. And that set off a chain of events. <laughs> that was, it led me to actually reading the Bible for myself. I remember it just, you know, there, there were opportunities for me to, to, to serve God and to say yes to God, but especially to read God's word. And I would be remiss to, to limit mention of others that God used. Yes, my eighth grade teacher, Norma Howard, she was instrumental. But there was a combination, a culmination of influences. And I want to kind of broaden the scope of Adventist education as Lonnie has done. It's not just those with the title of educator, right? It's not just those with the classroom, but those who have influence. On the home front, my parents, my siblings, they had influence in my education. Their loving, supportive environment, it made it easy for my heart to be inclined to trust God. It made it easy for my heart to seek God. I have memories of having family worship. And I think I've shared this with you, that every now and then when, when I'd go to uh, kiss my dad goodnight, I would kind of pop into his room before he was ready for me, and he was there kneeling at his bedside. You know, those images in my mind, that's, that's literally every time I kneel, I, I, I envision my dad. And I love that on the home front, my parents educated, my siblings educated me to know God and to love God. In the church sphere, there were youth leaders who not only facilitated small group Bible study for me, you know, they, they would gather us in youth Sabbath school or, or in Wednesday night meetings and stuff, but they empowered us to lead those Bible studies. They taught us to lead those for our peers, and that prompted me to pray more. That prompted me to seek more, to read more. It cultivated in me a desire to participate in church life, not just as a consumer, but also as a producer. Do you follow what I mean by that? Yeah, there's a verse in Deuteronomy that talks about not appearing before God empty-handed. And for me, that was something as a senior in high school, I remember, that's... I'm never going to appear before God empty-handed. I want to always be able to contribute. How did that happen? It was because people in my life, youth pastors, youth leaders, led me to an experience of seeking God for myself. And in the friend sphere, let me also give mention to a young lady named Debbie at the time. Her name was Debbie Phillips. Praise the Lord. She eventually became my wife, the mother of our beautiful children, and Debbie, when I started hanging out with her as a special friend in high school, she was already reading through the Bible on her own as a, as a personal practice. I remember discovering that. Like, you actually read the Bible. <laughs> Not because you're assigned to, but because you want to. And I remember one Christmas, I think it was my freshman year in high school, or, you know, it was after I was baptized as a freshman, she gave me a journal and that became an exercise that I continue to this day, talking with God through prayer, talking with God through the scriptures, 
People like Debbie, there was a, a senior at the time. His name was Jason. He now pastors uh, up at the Hinsdale Church in Illinois. He motivated me. People like this, they motivated me. They mentored me along the way as we journeyed together in seeking God for ourselves. I could go on with other stories. I could tell you of other people. I could tell you about my youth pastor, Steve Hamilton, and things like that. But right now, I just want to extend this, this simple question to you. Whether or not you have the title of an educator, whether or not you have the salary of a teacher, will you exert an Eli-like influence in the most positive of ways, right? Will you exert an Eli-like influence to lead others to seek to hear from God themselves? You know, again, we were talking over the last several weeks as, as shepherding laborers. Let's pray, yes, to be sent out to the harvest out there. But let's also be mindful of the harvest that's right within our reach, within our home circle, within our church circle. The harvest of young hearts. And the question I want to ask is, who are the young people in your lives? And maybe not young in years, but young in spiritual experience. Who are the young people in your lives? that are looking for godly influences, people who will lead them heavenward. And as God places you in others' lives, sure, go ahead, share your wisdom. Give counsel and direction when you're asked, etc. But more than that, let's lead people to find that in God, there is one we can confide in. In God, there is one we can counsel with and hear from. Let's be the teachers. Let's be the parents. Let's be the church members that surround our young people with genuine interest and are engaged in our own experience of communion with God, that we have something to give to others so that when others look to us for help, we can lead them to be taught of God himself. Mm -hmm.